Hey guys, what's up? Week 119 here. Wearing my uh, snazzy new Ghoulies 2 shirt. I also picked up another one. Uh, Cavity Colors had a sale and I could not pass this up. Thanks uh, Ron Munster for giving me the heads up on the sale. I love this shirt. Bright green, come on. Uh, it's really tacky color, but for some reason I'm so used to wearing black horse shirts that... Um, I love when they do some other colors. So that has nothing to do with this whole video, but I just thought I'd share that with you. I'm very happy with my Ghoulies 2 shirt, um, my favorite Ghoulies movie. I guess, uh, oh, I, I guess I'll mention that uh, I'm shooting a little short movie this weekend. Should be fun. Got some cool people um, directed by Dustin Mills. So I'm really excited about that. Aaron Ryan and Jason Crow, you guys will know them, are coming to be in it. So it's got a nice little cast. I'm excited. It's been a while since I've filmed something. Uh, I guess we're going to hop into the reviews. The first one, is from Artsploitation Films, and it is from Sweden, and this is Blood Paradise. Yeah. You know what's funny is, like, right when I saw that uh, title, and, like, right when I saw it was from Sweden, I was like, hmm, I wonder if, like, there's going to be more Scandinavian horror movies coming out. Um, I'm sure they had that deal. I, I doubt Artsploitation's been sitting on this forever. Maybe they pushed it a little forward, because uh, Midsummer with, you know, uh, I can't remember, was that Sweden or Norway, whatever country, Scandinavian uh, country over there. So this one uh, follows... Kind of, a, I guess it's kind of a similar horror plot or something along those lines of, you know, this uh, woman, she's a writer and she's struggling to write her next big novel. She had some success earlier on. Her stories were kind of violent and really kind of nasty. And, you know, she had her fans and she had her um, critics, of course. So she decides to go to Sweden for a vacation and, you know, stay on this farm. Her kind of, uh, you know, what am I looking at? Her agent or her, uh, yeah, basically suggested it. So she goes there to try to find, you know, some creativity. And the farm is filled with kind of strange people. The farmer is kind of quiet, keeps to himself. Of course, he has some dark secrets. There's some other people around the farm who are strange as well. It's divided in these kind of chapters. We'll, we'll say, you know, like the father, the mother, the, the son the the murder stuff like that she has kind of a strange well i guess a chi boyfriend the one who kind of into meditation whatever he's kind of a kind of a sissy he decides to come later on and stuff like that but you know my favorite part about this movie is actually the her driver that she gets in sweden is obsessed with her books he's having turmoil with his wife at this time who's obsessed with plants so these two characters add this another this other storyline going on that it, it get it becomes involved with the main storyline and these two are the most interesting characters they're not perfect people they're kind of mean but at the same time i actually feel for them and i generally like their characters throughout the entire movie the um the the fan of the uh, main character in this movie the driver who loves the writer is also an aspiring writer so we have that storyline and he's so obsessed with her books there's a really great scene in here where she obviously didn't have success with her last book, where he has her sign all her all his all the books he has of hers, and he gets to the last one's like that one's not so good, and it's just like even the biggest fan of yours is still giving you these stupid little critiques like you ask for them, and that just kind of gets into her psychology a little bit. There are some deleted scenes on the disc that show some uh, you know dream sequences that don't really fit the entire tone of the movie, but some of them were kind of unique and kind of out there. The gore is kind of minimal. The way they do the kills, they're kind of just off screen, you know, hammer blows here and there, and there is kind of I would say a Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of little twist in here involving some psychology of a character, which I kind of enjoyed kind of dual thing going on. Um, 
uh, it, it's kind of mean spirited to be honest. At certain points, there's no problem here. They, they they're no the actress is not afraid to get nude. She's in the she's nude quite a bit in the movie, um, jumping in the water and whatnot and showering. I think that kind of stuff's all in here. Uh, I think it's all right down the middle. It's a solid movie. Um, it's got a nice location. It's a decent uh, premise. We've seen it before. It's nothing super special, but it's nothing outrageously crappy either. It's a solid run of the mill kind of horror film. With uh, I'd like to see what this guy does next. Um, um, uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, to be honest. And you don't see that many horror movies that are, you know, it's 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 not over the top. It's pretty subtle. And like I said, the characters that interested me, uh, I actually generally felt bad for them when something crazy. So it's uh, Blood Paradise, which also happens to be, I think, what she names her newest book that she's writing. So, yeah, you kind of seen that one coming, didn't you guys? She wants me to go to a farm in Sweden. I don't think you should go. I have to go. You are the witches. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to be creepy. If, if you would like to do me the honors. Sure. I know you're going to write the next masterpiece here. I'm sure of it. It's going to be great. She's resting out there. She's buried in the garden? Yeah. She loved the garden, but now it's only a garden of death. You're looking a little bit damaged. Would you like some fika? That is coffee and buns. Sure. Okay, guys, the next one here is from Mill Creek, and I actually covered this one about a year ago, and it is New Kids. I covered the original Spanish Blu-ray um, that I imported that was supposed to be a region-free disc, and here's the new one from Mill Creek. Um, this is a Sean Cunningham movie, so I covered it already, so I don't want to go into like mass detail about the movie. I will go into some, but I want to compare the editions a little bit as well, even though there's not that much about the editions that's different, but there is some significant differences. Okay, um, the New Kids. Let me get over the storyline in this one. This is kind of a revenge film. This is a, it is a revenge film. It's an 80s teen kind of drama. A uh, pair of kids, one who appears in Full House uh, later on, Lori Laughlin, I think. Um, her, their father and mother die tragically. It's not a spoiler. It's right in the trailer. Her father, their father is played by Tom Atkins, who is awesome, although he's wasted because he's in the movie for five minutes. They end up moving in with their uncle, played by Eddie Jones, IRP, who just died last month. He pops up and stuff like Chud. For some reason, every time I picture this movie, I always think that role is Barry Corbin or somebody like that. And then, like, I rewatch it or I see it, I'm like, oh, oh no, that's the guy from Chud and a bunch of other stuff. He's very recognizable character actor just died last year i meant last month at age 84 so there's that um, r.i.p but he um they move in with their uncle and aunt and they have this weird kind of um they're trying to get this you, you get the impression that the uncle is this kind of guy who's always taking these chances kind of shysty like doing these deals and trying to you know make a business for himself follow the american dream kind of deal he has a little speech in here where he says it was 1960 something jfk was president and car and he says all this speech about the car he's driving and stuff it's, it's pretty nice you get an insight on who he 
is and you know um, what, what what he's all about. So he's trying to open this old fairgrounds kind of deal to you know around the towns and the two nephew and niece move in and they start to help around there. And meanwhile, they're going to school and struggling with the loss of their parents. Some uh, local high school bullies start to center them, and I won't even call them bullies. This is like a gang. This is like the class of 1984 gang. They're ruthless. They're vicious. They're mean. They're led by James Spader, a great bad guy, great villain, just has a very punchable face in this. His kind of like main goon is John Philbin, and then uh, John Philbin, Return of the Dead, Tombstone, uh, a bunch of stuff. He's he's kind of he's a pretty good actor. He's in Children of the Corn as well, so he always kind of played a little prick, and he's good at it. So, and then the other ranks are filed with this, you know, kind of backwoods kind of rednecks. Uh, who is it? Uh, I can't think of the big Gordo is the heavy guy. Helps train this pit bull that they have fight. Uh, Mooney, who's just this uh, little goofy drug addict that James Spader keeps on the tip of his finger with drugs. And Joe Bob, who just seems like kind of a pushover in the gang as well. So he's got his weirdo gang. They all have their own personality. They start to make bets of who can sleep with, uh, you know, this uh, new girl in town and whatnot. So that kind of goes in there and of course things start to escalate and before we know it we have a bloodbath on our hands so it's a really good revenge movie there's good baddies you like the kids you root for them there's 80s montages so you got that going on and it is a Sean Cunningham movie the director of Friday 13th and a couple you know sex I guess 80s sex comedy deals so it is exploitative at times and you know uh, he never shies away from killing some animals think Friday 13th the snake and this has a chicken in there so if you guys are a little worried about real animal deaths that will probably bother you um the bad guys all get their comeuppance and you know with this 80s kind of like vibes going through it you would think maybe they're not going to go that far but they go all the way um i love eddie jones in this movie the uncle he's just really fun larger than life character feels like a character right out of great outdoors or something like that which i love that movie as well so i really dig this one i think it's a good 80s classic movie um i think it's definitely uh caught in the 80s i don't think they would ever make something like this nowadays unfortunately but it has its mean streak in it but all in all i mean dumb people would think like that's how real life works but you know of course the bad guys do some real ruthless things like i said and you love what happens and these guys are like a gang so um really entertaining revenge flick um now let me compare that also eric stoltz makes an appearance in here for you guys so that's nice uh first marty mcfly so the comparisons here, I noticed when I put in the um, Spanish Blu-ray, I thought it looked a little duller. I thought maybe that maybe that's just a bit right, but I thought that the uh, Mill Creek disc looked better. I thought maybe maybe the Spanish one is is just an upscale, but I thought it looked a little bit better. I thought the colors were better. I thought the details were sharper. Um, the sound also, I think, is a little bit better. Unfortunately, they don't, on the Spanish edition, you get uh, Spanish and English audio and a couple more subtitle options. But in the Mill Creek, you get subtitles as well. So if you're an American uh, or in the United United States or whatever or North America I would probably go for sure or you know even in the UK I I don't think it's region free but I would go with the Mill Creek edition it is just a better looking edition and the price is probably a little bit more affordable uh, so I would go with that one it's an improvement and I'm glad to have this one in uh, Blu-ray in the States because it's not really talked about all that much and I think it really could you know f be on that level with something of course like the class of 1984 or any other gang revenge movie it's one of the better ones top five for sure it's it's great good stuff they are brother and sister alone. Man said Mac and Mom are dead. Killed in a car crash. On their own. Without parents. Without friends. Trying to make it in a new town. Something bothering you, cousin? No. Nothing ever bothers me. Facing a dangerous new enemy. I can get it. Says who? That's me and 50 bucks. 
A gang that will stop at nothing to add one new word to their lives. Terror. You think we ought to light ourselves a little fire? No! You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. the director of the original Friday the 13th comes a new ticket to terror. Striking back. You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. Okay, this next one is for Massacre Video. It's been a while since I reviewed a Massacre Video one, but love that label. So we got Don Dollar's Fiend. Yeah, or is it The Fiend? It's Fiend. Um, they made their own little tagline for this one, Don't Fuck With The Fiend, which is really funny. But yeah, Don Dollar did Night Beast, Alien Factor, Galaxy Invader, and Blood Massacre. This is the fourth Don Dollar movie I've seen. The only one I haven't seen now is Galaxy Invader. So yeah, The Fiend. This one was made a little bit cheaper uh, than some of the other ones right after Alien Alien Factor, after Night Beast fell through, they decided to make another one, Fiend. And right in the beginning, they give you a description of what the Fiend is. It's some sort of spirit that can jump into dead bodies and take them over, and it needs life force. So kind of like a, a psychic vampire that drains, not psychic, I don't know, but it, it's a it's a vampire that doesn't need blood, it drains your life force. So um, right in the beginning, we have this uh, this animation kind of deal, or I don't even know, cell animation maybe it is. I don't, that's not necessarily that, but this weird animation that goes over, you know, typical Don Dolor effects, it goes over and it jumps into a body of a corpse, comes out rotten, sucks the life out of somebody, and then he's kind of this weird, pale-looking guy. He ends up walking right into somebody's house for sale and takes over and picks up where he used to be. He used to be a music teacher, but he's moved like several counties over so nobody knows who he is. He just starts teaching music lessons and sucking the life out of whoever comes in his way. Uh, a nosy neighbor starts to think that something's up with you know kids getting killed and women getting killed in his neighborhood. He's not going to stand for it. He thinks that this guy, his neighbor, his music-teaching neighbor, could possibly be involved and but good reason he's a prick he's he's very weird he's very quiet and he has a you know a little helper with him played by George Stover who I think appears in some John Water movies I know he does and he appears in I think every Don Dolor movie so we have that's basically to set up the storyline the acting's not great on everybody's part it is local acting it is low budget acting the movie is a little slow but it has some really cool qualities about it I mean there's not really any plot like the fiend I love that the idea is just this weird kind of space demon or whatever the hell it is jumps in a body and the body wakes up and starts a rampage it's not particularly gory or anything like his other movies but it almost seems like all his stuff it does come from space because the end you would suggest it does all his movies involve something from space and for me that never gets old you get unique monsters you get unique kind of uh you know myths and occult stuff and i think this is based on maybe something that they read at one point or maybe they made all of it up but you know it is a little slower like i said some of the acting's iffy some of the things i'm like okay whatever but the actor who plays the fiend is pretty solid pretty fun he was a stage actor and he said in uh, some of the very small interview on here he didn't like film acting it just bored the hell out of him so he didn't really particularly like doing this but he did it anyways and i think he was going through a divorce at the time so it wasn't a real pleasant shooting experience for him there was a commentary on here with i think like the cinematographer and some other people um uh, bruce holchek who runs the um cinema uh, arcadia uh, his website pretty much keeps track of all the damn um upcoming releases i really recommend checking that out if i said it right maybe i'll link it below uh so yeah 
Yeah, um, he, there's a commentary on there with that. So it's a nice release. It looks pretty good. I mean, it's in full screen. They never planned this movie to really be in theaters or be on a big HD TV. This was probably going to be made for tape and, and on television and stuff like that. No big theater experience. But it's a low-budget, regional filmmaking kind of movie that I enjoy these. You know, I'm right down the middle. It's it's worth checking out, worth watching. There's heart to it, uh, and it's a community coming together to make a, you know kind of a little spooky, goofy horror movie that I enjoy. hiding fry you lied to the police didn't you no i didn't i told them the truth who are you anyway i'm somebody who wants to know what you were doing last sunday what you were really doing mr longfellow Okay, guys, the next one is Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, or is it Trick Trick Baby? Yeah, man, this is a weird movie. I don't even know where to go with this, to be honest. I don't know what to say about this. I think the director is Matthew Bright. He did the first Freeway, um, and his interview on here, I'll, I'll start with that, I guess, because I'm going right into it anyways. Interview on here was really informative, and he's a unique kind of guy. He just talked freely about getting a start in The Forbidden Zone, which is a crazy movie with Susan Tyrell and her, um, uh, what is that guy's name? Uh, Hervey and stuff. 
Orloff has some nice stories on that, but he, he kind of talks about this movie starting out as not a Freeway 2 project. That's just, just Confessions of a Trick Baby, and it got turned into Freeway because it was the same producer, yada, yada, yada. Freeway did well. If you guys have not seen Freeway, it is a really cool kind of Little Red Riding Hood, modern-day crazy movie with Kiefer Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon. Very enjoyable, very crazy and different. And this one is really weird. This one's even crazier. Um, as the director said, he was more interested in you know females for his movies. He said he couldn't write for men as lead characters, so he went at that route. And this movie is a crazy, weird road movie. I don't even know how to explain this. Basically... This girl gets a real harsh sentence that she doesn't deserve. She gets sent to this kind of, you know, girl institution for mental health. She ends up, or better yet, a serial killing weird girl who falls in kind of love with her and befriends her. And they end up on an escape together. What ensues is crazy mayhem and murder and weird nonsense throughout the entire movie until they end up in Mexico where they find Sister Gomez who basically was someone that was from the serial killer girl's early childhood. Um, did I mention that Sister Gomez is played by Vincent Gallo? Well, it's the case. Okay. John Landis is also in this movie as a judge, which is fun. And uh, David Allen Greer plays her attorney. Very funny performance. Very great performance. Of course, there's two cops after her, after the after them, after this murder kind of crime spree. It's definitely an on-the-road thing, and it's definitely very 90s. This was like late 90s, 96, 98, somewhere around there, maybe 98. So it feels like that kind of deal, one of those movies were you know it's not like if i wouldn't say tarantino inspired because the director mentions that you know his first freeway was not you know it was being made around the time pulp fiction was being made and it wasn't really inspired by it but you know that has that 90s feel that crime feel that weirdness that um you know could be compared to something like a demented tarantino movie i don't want to say it is but you know it probably would get lumped in that by some people you know on the road movies like 11 of 45 and stuff like that and you know uh, the acting is really bizarre and weird. Uh, the lead, I, I'm not too familiar with her, but she is a name, and a lot of people know her. What is her name, actually? I'm going to look at Natasha Leone, and I, like a lot of people are big fans. I've seen it. She's in a bunch of stuff, and I'm just not that familiar with her. She's great in this movie. She um, There's this weird thing in this movie, like 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 the Greg Anarchy movie, Nowhere, where everybody's just like bulimic and puking and everything all the time. Some gross things in that. At, at times, it just goes out of its own, like... Um, I would say like its own reality. It just doesn't have, it's just like its own deal. Like tonally, it's a strange movie where someone can like exorcist vomit projectile puke on someone. And then the next minute it's kind of like dark, but silly. And it's just, and doesn't feel like a cartoon, but at times it does feel like a cartoon. It's just a weird crime movie that I would recommend checking out. You kind of have to see it to be believed. And it's almost, ama it almost it amazes me that it's an American-made movie. Uh, the director said he never wanted to, you know, categorize it when he was making it. He just let it go. And he said, you know, I didn't want to, you know, say this is humor or this stays in here like that. So he just let the actors and actresses do what they do and, and that kind of deal. I think it's very enjoyable. The two cops I actually really like that are tracking her down. Uh, it gets, you know, violent at times. It's just a batshit. Batshit crazy movie is pretty much the only way you can explain this one. There is an interview with the director, like I said, and the producer. Recommend checking this one out. Unique, weird, wild stuff. Uh, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. Yeah, strange, strange. On your 19th birthday, you'll be turned over to the Department of Corrections to serve a term of 25 years. Life is tough. But Crystal can deal with it. Her friend is a little psychotic. She's got life. I have something to smile about. I've been on the most wanted three times. But fugitives can't be picky. We make it to Mexico, we're home free. 
glad we're going to be together, white girl. He just killed two senior citizens. This dress is tight enough. Damn, I better not fart or I'll blow my shoes off. An armed robber that specializes in posing as a prostitute. Want to get some friction going? Sometimes when people play for high stakes, they piss their pants. Either we find them and we arrest them or we kill them. You people lose way too Natasha Leone, Vincent Gallo, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. We'll buy some new clothes, we'll get our hair done, we'll have a really nice life. Okay, we have another crazy one, directed by Scooter McRae. Um, this is his follow-up to Shatter Dead, which I've always loved. A great shot on video movie. And this is 16 Tongues um, by SRS Studios. This is really weird to me because I had watched Shatter Dead a few times and always liked it. It was kind of a, you know, one of those movies I saw way too young. 13 years old and it just was, it's very like transgressive and just insane so i was like i like this movie a lot and then i would watch uh, i saw around the same time scooter mccray pops up in a 1997 shot on video movie i think it's 97 or 98 uh bloodletting which is one of my all-time favorite sov movies and all-time favorite horror movies believe it or not and he has this weird little character replays book so it was really crazy to see him in both those movies and be familiar with him at that young of an age and then know that he had another movie buy his other movie and never watch it that's how i kind of am like i'm like oh i have it now so i can watch it when i on my own free time so i finally put in 16 tongues this is made i think in the late 90s and finally didn't get finished or released until 2004 on dvd uh from my understanding scooter mccray like i said he is a unique director and although he does work on a very low budget he tends to have these tends to have these crazy stories and you know premises that are unique to him and i gotta give him credit for that uh 16 tongues is in a world of advertisement and porn everywhere so advertisements of porn everywhere it's in the future it seems that people have been you know perform weird kind of uh biological and uh meta like uh, i was cyborg kind of things about them uh there's two main characters in this movie one of which is um kind of a pleasure bot think you know it's like a demented hell version of blade runner or something like that like the seedy underground garbage pit that would be in blade runner like the seediest place 42nd street of blade runner i guess so we have is one character is like this assassin and uh the only thing you know that like she she has this weird sexual appetite and she has two um clitorises above her eyeballs so that's where her sexual sensors are and she's an assassin and she's on a mission with her girlfriend who is kind of like this hacker who can get into hacking systems and everything like that and uh it's really strange how they do it and everything like they can port into the wall very david cronenberg you know like existence or videodrome kind of inspired by that kind of deal and it does at points remind me of something like tetsuo so um the other character in this movie is oh geez what's the guy's name his name is torque or something he's a police officer and this is where the title 16 tongues comes from if you guys want to hear it he was um uh in the military or he was serving as a police officer at the time and 17 people were killed he was one of them who died and they brought him back and most of his skin was burned so they put the 16 tongues on his body so he has this weird sensory where like he has to keep a lot of the tongues he can't have the tongues touched because it, it goes over the top because he get taste 
through his tongues. And um, did I mention that he ejaculates blood because the wiring, rewiring, they did it the cheap and easy way. They didn't want him to have kids. So he's looking for this, uh, you know, he's on a mission. And I never really understood exactly what he was doing because you realize that something's wrong with both of these characters are very damaged and all over the place. And of course, they're going to, they're coming together. And this is going to end not well for a lot of people in the movie. Uh, it had some really weird moments. Uh, the melodramatic stuff or a lot of the dialogue where they're talking about their license stuff and arguing, it's not perfect. It's not great. The sound is probably what hurts it. Some of the sound is, is a little rough in places and there's a lot of inner monologues and it, and stuff like that, which it jumps between them, which is fine. And they, I feel like they did that more so because the sound was probably not particularly great in this movie. I think it's a it's shot on DV. So, you know, it's not going to look great. And it's going to be stuck in that like look and the sound. I mean, it's not going to be perfect like that. And it's, again, up against budget constraints. But saying that, I do think that the story is interesting enough. And there's so many cool concepts in here. I've never seen so many... Um uh, you know, I guess I'll say this like vaginal imagery in the movie. There's a wallpaper that has vagi- vaginal stuff on their vaginas and, you know, things like that. And there's tons of porn on the wall and, you know, people spreading their asses and everything. It's just really, really kind of pushing it. And even everything in this world must be slight. So it's like credit, every no money, no cash. And, you know, it, it's actually become like that. Some of this stuff feels a little legit. You know what I mean? People connected their phones and whatnot, but they're sliding, slicing, they're, you know, scanning their cards and stuff. And the, the cards are like the little whatever you scan your card through looks like a vagina as well everything in this movie and this is a world where you pay to turn the porn off on your tv because it'll drive you nuts so you know you know when like the film noirs i don't even say it's film noir but those movies where you have a bunch of people trapped in a hotel or in a hotel and some people are you know all these mysterious people it's kind of like that at the same time too there's a bloodbath at the end and some craziness and leads to it and some some revealing in here and there there's a commentary on here there's some deleted scenes um it's it's interesting watch i prefer shatter dead just because i'm a big zombie fan and i love when they turn the genre on its head this one also is pretty weird and wild and unique so that's 16 tongues Yeah. <sighs>
Okay, we have a Patreon pick here from a Tone Joker, and he picked uh, Sleepless from Dario Argento. This is the Arrow edition right here. Believe it or not, I've never watched Sleepless. You know, I've always heard like mixed things. People are like, it's the last great Argento movie. It's a big pile of crap. So I put this in, and it, it runs close to two hours long, and I was immediately kind of intrigued. Max von Sydow is in it from The Exorcist and, you know, tons of other stuff. So I was like, okay, at least it's got some good actors in here. Um... I watched the dub version. I don't think that there is uh, English, uh, the actually Italian on here. And this is, you know, a murder mystery. Dario said that on the special features, he wanted to go back to his, you know, suspense movies like Bird with the Crystal Plumage and, um, you know, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Cat O'Nine Tales. That's where he wanted to go. And it feels, you know, a lot of ways like Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It's not as strong as that one, but there's some really good imagery. Um, Sergio Stivaletti did these special effects, so they're good. Um, I've never seen so many fake heads get dis um, dismantled and destroyed in a movie because there's a lot of fake heads getting smashed against walls, getting their chopped off, just lots of gross things with fake heads and stuff like that. And the effects look pretty good on this one. This story in this is absolutely bonkers. We follow this kind of young man whose mother was murdered by a serial killer years back and all of them involved some sort of animal. Hey, we go back to the Animals trilogy again. And each little had a little animal cut out, three murders back in the day. And Max von Sydow was the detective on the case. And he made a promise to the boy, I'll figure out who did this. So um, when years later, when the murders start up again, Max von Sydow is retired and he's starting to lose his memory. He has a bad heart. So he's struggling to remember the case when the cops approach him and this young man approach him about figuring out what's going on. So, of course, the two cases tie together and we find out that was it really solved in the first place? Originally, they had pegged as Dorf was the killer who wrote children's books. So you know, it gets complicated. There's a nursery rhyme that goes through the whole movie which is really cool there's a great cha uh, train scene where they ch uh, the killer is chasing this woman on the train um, there's some nudity of course No, they don't shy away from that um, the acting is patchy in places but that's due probably to some of the dubbing I thought this one was pretty damn good. Surprisingly, I'd go like 7 out of 10. I know I don't usually give ratings, but I think that it was a surprise. Um, some of the special effects are really good, and they mix digital and practical. At the very end shot, I'm sure you've seen that gore gag. It's really, it looks really good. Uh, I think it would remind me of something like, what was that, uh, Cradle of Fear? Um, the anthology had a night, crazy head explosion that was like CGI and practical. I thought they did that well too, back if I remember correctly. But I feel like it's kind of like that, and I think that the CGI is much better in this one than it was in the Stenhall syndrome. That one was, ew. but uh, yeah, I love that movie though. But this one I think is definitely solid, and it's a you know a Dario I didn't give a chance, and I bought it, but I didn't give it a chance. Although I will complain here on the Arrow one, this a disc I couldn't hear the sound very well. It was just not particularly great. Um, the surround sound or regular, everything was really quiet when it came to dialogue, and the sound effects were super loud. And I was like, man, is my surround sound too loud? So I started. I watched other movies, and I could hear their dialogue perfectly fine. I wish this had subtitles. It really needs subtitles on the release. I know, especially when stuff is 80 yard and dubbed, it's just like, put some subtitles on there. I know Arrow has come a long way since that release. That release is very old, 2009, and they're one of the best companies around. But still, I wish they would have put subtitles on there. But I think it's well worth your time. There's twists and turns and a high body count. Cool stuff. Good, good Patreon pick, man. Keep, keep stuff like that coming. Murders like these are not accidental. They're premeditated. He likes to hurt. He likes to hurt human beings. His is not an illness you can cure. 
fingerprints and nothing to do with DNA on. How are you going to catch him? Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from uh, Keith Voigt Jr., and he picked Gaspar Noe's Love. Of course, he, he, gives me, he gave me all those um, Lars von Trier movies, and then he started giving me all those uh, um, Gaspar Noe movies, and I'm not complaining because I, I enjoy them. Uh, pretty crazy stuff. Love, uh, okay, I don't know, again, over two, hour, two hours and 15 minute Gaspar Noe, and if you guys have seen Gaspar Noe's movies like Irreversible or Enter the Void or Climax, he shoots them like nobody else would shoot them, above angles, lots of long tracking shots, shots, um, jumps back between storylines from, you you know what I mean? Kind of like two storylines going on. And this one feels to me like a less violent and more personal version of Enter the Void. We have this, this couple... And we, we start off in the modern times and he's remembering a lot of things and he takes this drug and he jumps back between his former girlfriend and his new life where he has a, a, a woman he doesn't really love and they have a child that he cares for the child and that's it. So he jumps back between this and this is two hours and 15 minutes and there's not as much going on as something like Enter the Void which is encompasses so much crazy and cool and unique things. It's much, much more personal movie and there's straight up uh, people would say we're complaining that this is a this is pornography. It is not pornography, but it is pornographic, if that makes any sense to people. So um, there's scenes of, you know, it looks like real sexual intercourse, um, you know, you know, everything you could imagine uh, showing everything go in. There's numerous masturbation sessions, people, you know, all sorts of hand jobs, uh, you know, intercourse, all sorts of things like that. And with random strangers. The one thing that this movie kind of is weird about is at first you kind of hate the character and then you feel sorry for him. And then you hate him again. It jumps around like that where you, you're like, I hate this guy. I like this guy. I hate this guy. I hate him, but I can sympathize with him. It's that young love that, you know, the idea. And this guy, in the, the main character of the movie, always talks about how he wants to be a filmmaker. I want to be a filmmaker. And he's like, he says some things like, I want to make movies about love and sentimentality, love sentimentality. And I, is Gaspar Noe trying to do that in this movie? He's the type that probably would say it in the movie. And he's like, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, there's some shout outs. One of the kids, the baby's name is Gaspar. And then Noe is the art collector dealer. And it's actually played by Gaspar Noe. So you're like, okay, they got all that going on. Uh, they use sound cues from a lot of movies. Little, um, I noticed other sound cues from stuff, and it's, it's like Tarantino Hill sample this and sample that, and you hear it, and you connect with it without realizing it's from something else that you belo- love. So you're like, oh, I love this and this, and then you're like, wait a minute, I know that's from something else, and that's, that's a really f- cool way to do it, you know what I mean? Instead of exactly... You, you elevate your art by using little pieces of someone else's. I know some people call that a cheat, but um, using Is Anybody Out There by Pink Floyd, a little you know melody in there, I was like, what is that? I know that. I, I'm familiar with that. I loved that for years. What is it? I had to figure it out, and they use that perfectly. Of course, there's dancing and weird kind of visual trippy things. And I mentioned this is in 3D. I didn't get to watch the 3D version, but yeah, if you want to see Splooge coming at you in the screen and probably all sorts of other crazy things, then check this one out for sure. I doubt you've seen that in 3D before. I wish I could have watched it in 3D, actually. Um, I think it's a good movie. I think that it's a little heartfelt in places, and I think it's, you know, it's. I do have trouble connecting with characters in a lot of ways that are young and really sentiment, 
like full of sentimentality and just always constantly screw up everything. You're just like, I just want to, I, he got what he deserves. Unfortunately, you know, you like his girlfriend much more than him, even though nobody's perfect in this movie. Nobody's perfect at all, but I think it's a well worth your time. It, it, it's shot like his other movies. I would put enter the void and climax above it. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched irreversible. I'm not exactly dying to rewatch that one. Not that it's a bad movie, but it's just, you know, it's the crazy movie. It's not a feel good movie, but anything. And I don't think any of his movies are feel good movies. Like what he says is he wants to make movies. Uh, movies should be made with blood and tears and love or something like that. And I think that's what he does a lot of the times. Again, I spotted a Salo poster in the background. I think he had some shout out to Salo and Climax and stuff. He lo must love that movie. You know, you know his taste firmly where they are. So that is Love by Gaspar Noe. It was made after Enter the Void before Climax. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Do you know what my biggest dream in life is? My biggest dream is to make a movie that truly depicts sentimental sexuality. that to me explain to me you sick little fuck you little weasel where the fuck is she you will never be able to mother a child because you are a venomous cunt hey did you know your husband's fucking my girlfriend what? What the fuck are you saying? Hey, 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 Come on, people. Hey, do you have a headache? No, I don't have a headache. Hey, please. Fucking France. 1918 was the last time you guys won a war. Since okay, then, okay, what have okay, you okay, done? Okay. Nothing. Stop, You're sitting stop. on your asses eating racks. Stop now. Okay, guys, 
You know what time it is. Time for the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. one is the last hard men this is on a four pack here a four pack blu-ray and i originally heard about this movie from the pure cinema podcast Elric kane was talking about this one and uh it sounded right up my alley on their post uh wild bunch episode you know like five post wild bunch westerns i love westerns wild bunch is my favorite western wild bunch one of my favorite movies ever made and yeah this one right here uh yeah the last hard men uh, Elric sold this one pretty hard. Uh, so I put this in 1976 by the director who did The Devil's Brigade. That's a really cool movie with William Holden and Claude Ankins and a bunch of people in there. And uh, the, dire- the director did a bunch of John Wayne ones like McClintock and other stuff too. So he is a well-versed, probably journeyman director who's always made really cool movies, it, it looks like to me. So uh, this stars Charlton Heston and James Colburn and uh, both Sam Peckinpah alumni, both in Major Dundee before this. So yeah, I don't know if they were anything after major dundee before i'm sure they probably were so um what we have here is james colburn is a prisoner who is put away by charlton heston we're right at the cusp of you know the old west being dead we're starting to see automatic weapons uh similar to the wild bunch it's got to be around that time james colburn's on like a chain gang with some familiar faces i can't think of the african-american guy's name he's in a bunch of stuff he's in willie dynamite um and uh the 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 really dirty looking guys in a bunch of stuff too. He's in a 92 in the shade and swinging cheerleaders. So he's on this chain gang with these guys, all sorts of recognizable faces. It's just like mean, mean mother effing character actors. Okay. So, uh, he escapes and he has one thing on his mind. They all seem to know each other at some extent, you know, maybe they've been on this chain gang for years talking about who they hate and why they're here. So he, uh, realizes he wants to go after Charlton Heston, who was the sheriff who got him locked up. The lawman, I'll say Charlton Heston is older he's retired he just doesn't you know have it in him anymore but together james colburn and charlton heston are the last hard men so what happens is james colburn you know he's right away he uh kind of get enlists the help of this gang when they escape to help him he kind of manipulates them with the promise of gold he says help me you know take out charlton heston's guy 
and um, the gold's yours, yada, yada, yada. And it's kind of kind of this one deal going on. We have the African-American guy. We have the um, Hispanic guy, and then we have the Mexican. And then we have uh, James Colburn's a half Native American, which is a real common thing in a lot of these movies back in the day. Like Charlie Bronson would play that in like uh, Shadow's Land and stuff like that. And he'd be like, I'm ha- he's a half Native American kind of character. So, And then we also have like kind of uh, the hillbilly. Uh, he was one of the shorties in uh, Cool Hand Luke. And uh, the mean kind of gross guy and, and a young kid and just a, another sociopath in there as well. So you got these character types and how and, and then back in the 70s how they're portrayed and stuff like that. So, of course, uh, there's a posse, including Michael Parks, that are originally going to help him. But it ends up just being Charlton Heston and his daughter's uh, love interest. Because, you know, James Colburn, can't he, he's going to play dirty. So he sets his sights on Barbara Hershey from The Entity, uh, who's James Colburn's daughter. So it's kind of, uh, you know, lure him out and rescue him. This movie's pretty damn mean-spirited. There's a scene in here that I was like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Um, The bad guys get their comeuppance, which made me very happy. The bad guys are ruthless and brutal, and they argue and they fight and uh, with each other, and they're all really, really good creeps. James Colburn's awesome. He's always awesome, and uh, his voice is just booming. Him playing a villain is also really a treat to see. Uh, Charlton Heston, to me, is like the more sentimental John Wayne kind of deal in this movie, where he's like, he's the more compassionate one. Like, he's not as mean or anything like that. And like, um, I, I really, he's really good in this. He's very fatherly, if that makes any sense. But uh, there's a scene where the young man has to knock him out, which is probably, like I said earlier, I, I kind of talked that that's the most screwed up scene in the movie. Uh, the action's good it's bloody. And, uh, like I said, it's a good movie. It's a mean spirited seventies Western that doesn't pull its punches. And, uh, it's, it's pretty dark. Um, I would recommend checking it out late too. 76. I mean, this is the same year as, isn't that the same year as, uh, outlaw Josie Wales and, uh, Rocky is that, and maybe even taxi driver is that 76. Yeah, I think it is. That's, that's a crazy year for movies. And you know, they weren't making that many Westerns. So outlaw Josie Wales and the, the last hard man made in the same year. I would check it out. I think it's, uh, you know, I know Elric's talked about a Keller Kane on pure cinema for good reason. It's a good movie. And I think that, uh, this, the set should be cheap. It's got three other movies on there too. Butch Cassidy in the early days and a couple other ones so uh find that set and check it out and check this one out it's good stuff i I was really happy with it a cat-like cold-blooded killer is waiting a man who brought law and order to the arizona territory is coming for him theirs is the ultimate showdown they are the last hard men Charlton Heston, a marshal so good, he lived to retire. James Coburn, a violent man who's waited 11 years to kill him. He wants to kill me slow. He's coming. I want to kill him now. They are the last hard men. I take your heart. And their shootout becomes cinematic legend. 20th Century Fox, in the classic tradition of high noon, the final showdown, Captain. the last hard men, rated R. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Time. For all who are willing to pay the price, 
We invite you to go through the mirror of life. Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, Hammer Time. Yeah. I just woke Jeremy up to do this review a little bit early because we got some stuff to do this weekend. We're busy, busy people. But we wanted to take the time to review the classic Hammer film. Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. The second Mummy film in the Hammer series. They're not related except one of the actors is the same and he has the same last name. So I guess that's the only tie-in I could find it. So there is a relation. A Some blood a, relation. A blood relation. Aren't all Mummy movies some blood relation kind of deal? It's mostly reincarnation rather than blood relation. Yeah, yeah, that kind of deal too. But that's Dracula's deal too. All the, all the Hammer and Universal stuff that involves a curse has some weird blood reincarnation bullshit going on. <laughs> okay, here we go. Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. I actually didn't recognize the director's name. I'm not sure if he did some more Hammer movies before or after this. I did very poor on that. But um, this one starts off really good. I was like, the sets are great. This is from the Mill Creek double feature that comes with Revenge of Frankenstein, the second Frankenstein. So they threw the second Mummy and second Frankenstein together. Um, it starts off great. It starts off very typical. They go in a tomb they're not supposed to. Of course, there's a curse. There's a missing medallion. They want the medallion. The medallion is the secret to bringing back this mummy. There's a guy who's mysterious, and he obviously has ties with the mummy. It's just like the mummy's revenge, which I reviewed kind of a couple weeks ago with the Paul Nashie one, which was actually a more graphic, better film, and I like that plot a little bit better, plus it had Paul Nashie. Um, this one, um, the best part about this movie to me is the capitalist who wants to take the whole exhibit and the mummy on, you know on like around the world and exploit it to make money it's kind of similar to the earlier hammer movie the abominable snowman with forrest tucker who wanted to take the abominable snowman on tour and exploit it i like the capitalists that they have in the hammer movies and like back in the day those like capitalists were kind of fun in movies oh yeah it was, it's the king like the story. king yeah, yeah 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 of course like oh it's a it's it has felix i don't care <laughs> it's an ancient piece of art i don't care money money yeah and then they try to justify it and it's just like just to say you want the money right exactly he's the best character in the movie i think mm -hmm. and character um i'm gonna I and don't he's know. american yeah so <laughs> screw that brit screw you we're starting a war i'm just i'm just kidding but um generally the leads i shouldn't be chewing gum very unprofessional but the leads in this movie um the male lead he's not a bad actor but um he's not necessarily that great of a leading man i actually found myself more um interested in the um uh, Egyptian guy who yeah. has like the loyalty to you know his country and he thinks it's a sham that they're doing this and he also is the same actor from the first one where he plays a villain in this the first one but this one he doesn't right and I think they kind of like try to trick it and think he might be a villain yeah, exactly because it's like um a, uh, they kind of casting stunt in that yeah um 
spoiler alert, I'm going to say this right now. He has the most horrific death in the movie, and everybody just stands around looking like an idiot when it happens because they realize they're they're useless against the right. mummy because he's a juggernaut. Um, but um, they kill uh, somebody else in a ladder movie where it has a small mummy scene, a waxwork, the same kind of way if you've seen that. It's not as gory in this one, but... Okay, and the lead female in this, she actually appeared in some James Bond movies, which is kind of interesting. Oh, really? Yes, but um, I think she might have been 80 yard mostly, because if not, I didn't think her acting was particularly strong. And I thought the two leads, the love kind of love interest, looked very bizarre. Mm-hmm. I thought they were kind of just like two bizarre people to pick for the leads, which normally I like, but it's just like in that kind of like 60s frame, it's usually not like that so much. Yeah, and I, like, I know, I think she was French in the movie. Is she, is she what's she French? She's Persian. She said she was Persian. Oh, Persian, Persian. Yeah, yeah, because she had some ties to, you know, the ancient Egyptian yeah. thing, too. Uh, of course, like like I said, all, I don't want to be a dick, but almost all these mummy movies seem to be the same that I've seen, from the Universal all the way to the Hammer to the Paul Nashie movie. And there's only so much you can do with a mummy. And I, I like the ideas of the Egyptian mummies and everything like that, but I just they don't think they spend enough time in the Egyptian tombs. With traps and stuff. That could be great with the mummy chasing them in the actual Egyptian tomb. I think some of the Universal ones do that more late, later on in the series. And I'd like to see that with some of the latter ones. I know one of the latter mummy movies is actually based off the Bram Stoker book. The, oh, okay. um, the, I don't remember what the book's called. The uh, Curse of Sir. It's something like that. A scarab or sarcophagus. I can't remember what it's called. But it's a jewel. Jewel of the Nile. Not, no, that's not the... But it's something like that. It's something, I think so. I can't remember the book. But I think one of the Hammer movies latter. So it's not related to this series either. So it's like we're continuing this series. It's like the Hammer movies, and there's no real ties in them, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean... You could talk. I talked a lot right there. Like, like, I don't know. It just it follows a typical, like... I feel like it has the same problems that the first Mummy movie had, where it's like, it's a mummy. Here's some Egypt stuff. It's just English guys painted brown. It's... There's a lot of British guys in the background playing instruments that have brown face on it. Yeah. And, like, you'll see the edges, like, there'll be a white forehead. Right. It's like, that's lazy. What's that guy's name? Which guy? Um, he was in it for... Oh, Michael Ripper. Yeah, Michael Ripper. Michael Ripper Ripper from Night Creatures and a bunch of other ones. Um, he's in this movie for five minutes, and he plays, um... A deaf mute? I don't know. He's really weird. (laughs) But he plays an uh, Egyptian kind of guy that they hire, you know, kind of similar to, like, the, um... Inuits in, um, or the, what do they call the Shurka, Sherpas Sherpa. in um, Abominable Snowman. He, he plays like one of those kind of characters. He just helps him with the <coughs> Egyptian, but of course he's involved with the curse because he entered the tomb. Right. And at one point they mentioned something and he just points to the cuff and he's like, ah, for yeah. no reason, like, and they just like put him there because he has crazy drunk eyes and they're like, oh, we got to kill him. <laughs> but, um, I gotta say this now, the mummy in the first one played by Christopher Lee was really great mummy. Um, Paul Nashi is the mummy was good for us. Karloff, even though in the first mummy movie, he's only in the bandages for a short while of time. Those are some great mummies. Mm-hmm. This mummy is a dumpy shit. He looks I don't like want... Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he's got like same like general silhouette. <laughs> he's yeah. got um, a pinball kind of shape. He's got an hourglass shape, and yeah. he's the mummy. He's got like I don't know if it's the padding, but he just 
this mummy has huge love handles. And there's nothing wrong with love handles, but I don't want love handles being on my mummy, okay? I, you know, I like mummies where you can see the face. Like the skeletal face? Yeah, I, I just, I tend to like those kind better. Of, I think the Monster Squad has a skeletal face. I think the Monster Squad and, But he's has... a little skinny one. But also, there's a connection with the Monster Squad here. The guy who plays Giles in this one mm-hmm. is in the Monster Squad as Van Helsing. Oh, really? Yeah, in the very beginning oh, okay. and the ending. So, that's cool. That is pretty Giles cool. is a good actor in this. He plays a drunk kind of professor who doesn't want to go along with the... You know, exploitation yeah, I did of like him. Egyptian yeah. art. Um, this isn't a great movie. This is probably one of the Hammer's weakest efforts. It starts off great again, it looks great, mm-hmm. and then it just loses its steam for me. And I see like this is kind of a pattern with a lot of these ones. I, I think some of these more more sequelized ones, or yeah, the sequelized ones, or 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 they're more like rooted in like I guess trying to be the Universal movies. Yeah, they just seem kind of weak. I know that some of the Draculas get fun. Again. Oh, some of the Draculas are excellent. But I, I remember the latter stuff, you know, I like Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde and Vampire Circus being some of my favorites. But right. I remember also like the sci-fi stuff. I love that. So I've been really liking the sci-fi There's like stuff. this middle ground of where they're like not quite their own, but they're also, you know, imita- when they imitate, they're not as good. But when they go off the cuff, right. I feel like they're great. They are great. Like... And I, I can't remember which podcast I was listening to earlier, but um, today they mentioned how. Um, no, I think it was just the disc. He had Martin Landau. He had a clip of Martin Landau being interviewed on an old disc, and Martin Landau was talking about how sci-fi movies used to be able to, you know, talk about more important subjects, and then Star Wars came along. Somebody else mentioned that, like Star Wars would come along, and everything changed after that. Yeah, it became like a fantasy instead of a science fiction, which could actually like have all these important like meanings and i know the the hammer movies have that in those like right and and like even like the old like ec comics would have that too like they the astronaut went to the planet and there's these red robots and green robots or whatever or red robot whatever they were and they were kept separated like why can't those separated because they're green yeah. and then like he uh was he's like you guys aren't ready to come to earth and like he took off his helmet he's a black ass or not yeah the 50s and 60s so it was just like oh shit like yeah we're getting that in on you racist people right ac comics you know well you know star wars is i don't want to go on a tangent on star wars but star wars isn't science fiction star wars is space opera space fantasy yeah and it has nothing to do with the mummy but it does have somewhat to do with hammer we kind of went down a tangent because i don't i don't have much to say about peter cushing is in Star Wars, and he was in the original Mummy. At... No, he was in the Hammer Mummy. He was in the Hammer <laughs> Mummy. But that's, I, I was thinking the other day today, I was like, hmm, George Lucas ended up working with uh, Donald Pleasance, Peter Cushing, and Christopher Lee. Directing him. I don't know why I think, this is the kind of stuff I think at work. But um, this is my like thinking. But uh, this one, it's just, I know we're not talking about it very much. The, like I said, that one kill is brutal. But there's just, like, in, inept cops that, like, try to throw a net on the mummy. Yeah. And it's hilarious because the mummy looks like Winnie the Pooh. He's really slow. It looks like he, um, he, like, if you're, like, a six-year-old and somebody pulls your pants down when you're a little kid and, like, your uncle or something's playing a joke on you and you try to run with your pants down or they fall down when you're running. And, yeah. And, like, he's just like, that's, that's, the mummy is really ridiculous. You know, I feel like... One, you can't see his face, because it's like an entirely, like, bandaged face. And I think there's, like, some eye slits. Yeah. But you don't even really see his eyes. And it's just like... And not a whole lot goes on in this movie. I legitimately feel like what happened was, like, like, uh, the guy who was going to play the mummy dropped out today. And then, like, some big Hammer producer was like, I'll fucking be the mummy. (laughs) (laughs) And he just, like, is this some guy? It's like, put a straw in my mouth when you put the makeup on. (laughs) 
This mummy's drunk. It was, yeah, I, I mean, I He's don't know. He's a dumpy mummy. Yeah, he was a very dumpy mummy. Just <laughs> I very... can't take this mummy seriously. No. <laughs> this is the worst mummy of all time. It's not the worst movie of all time. It's a very average movie. Yeah, Cut down the middle, five average. out of ten. Yeah, it's like right down the middle. Right down the middle. It's not horrible. It's not, a, I mean, I, it's just the worst, probably my least favorite. This is Revenge of Frankenstein. I'm like right down the middle on him. Yeah, but Revenge so. has some cool. Revenge has some unique things that I think bump it up a little bit. Revenge, to, Frank, yeah, that one had some good. Parts. Maybe Night it, Creature. It's slogged in the middle. Night Creature was. Yeah, I think Revenge is better than Night yeah. Creature. Uh, Creatures or whatever it's called, Creatures. but um, yeah, Captain Captain something as the AK name. Um, this one I can't give a strong recommend. A mild recommend. It's it's fine. I mean, has a good has a decent cast. The acting, I think that. Hammer also sometimes suffers from taking their lead actress and taking a ridiculous amount of makeup on them. So yeah. you're just like, and in HD, it just doesn't it doesn't look as good as it did. I mean, they're right. you know so, but it is bloodier than I expected in some parts. It is bloody. I mean, the it, hand. I think they're starting to get a little bit more violent. Right. Yeah. The hand stuff. Um. The one Egyptian how he bites it. I um, mean, just the idea of him was violent. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not because the they didn't actual, show it. But the but, hand they show. They show hands get. Yeah. Chopped they show off. a hand. I like I said, this isn't great. I mean. This one I'd say you could probably skip because you're not really missing anything. If you want to see the greatest mummy to ever grace this silver screen, don't watch this movie. You definitely pick something else. Yeah, go watch the other mummy. The you know the other mummy. Yeah, the one. The, the, the one, mummy. The in mummy. It. Yeah. yeah go watch, watch that one. Yeah, but not that mummy. Yeah, not the, not no, the no, mummy. Pass that mummy. Pass that mummy. Go to that that one mummy. The one mummy. You know the mummy. Brandon Fraser? Go past that mummy. Go back. Go, Go back, back the other way. Go back the other or way. Or maybe skip a few. I don't know. Don't watch a mummy movie for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, do you have anything else to say about this? Jeremy, according to him, said that neither of them were in the books. I didn't believe him, but I did double check. He said that Curse of the Mummy's Tomb was not in Terrante or John Stanley's Creatures Features. They had several titles that began at the word curse. Curse the Werewolf? I didn't get that far. Because I only looked for money. Hmm. There was Curse of the Pharaoh. But that was made in 1970, according to you. According to what I... I bet that's it. You think that's it? Well, You it, entertain these people. I'm going to go check. It had Live an checking. AKA title under Curse of the Pharaoh, and it wasn't AKA Curse of the Mummy. What it was, was it? the Pharaoh's Curse. That's probably it. We're yeah. going to check right now. You stay here and entertain them. All right, I'll, I'll talk right, about right. Julia Child. But if not, we're going to roll the trailer if we can't find it. But if it is, stay tuned, because I'm finding it. I'm going to talk about Fire Emblem. I was playing Fire Emblem. I got anything to add about that game. That's a fun game. Warning. Warning. of the mummy's tomb. The vultures are gathering for yet another feast. Beware, you infidels and unbelievers. Take heed of the curse. Do not meddle with the secrets of the dead. take you into my confidence and warn you. There is a curse which says that all persons present 
at the opening of a pharaoh's coffin and who gaze at the face of the mummy therein shall die. You have been warned. You have been warned. You, Terence Morgan, beware. Your past may catch up with you. You, Ronald Howard, beware. Let the sleeping mummy lie. You, Fred Clark, beware. Let gold not be your god. And you, Jean Roland, beware the love of a handsome stranger. And all of you here now, beware the forbidden secrets of life and death. You cannot run away from the curse of the mummy's tomb. We're all doomed to die for this act of desecration. The curse of the mummy's tomb reveals the mystery, the murders. The terrifying story of a rampaging bandage and bone monster stalking those who defiled its tomb of terror. Okay, we got some questions. Nick Moore, have you ever come across any really creepy children? I think he mentioned that because of the whole, you know, creepy kid talk on the last episode. What was the last one that we watched with creepy kids? I can't remember. But anyways, have you ever come across really creepy children? Um, I'm sure I have, but I can't recall any stories off the top of my head. I seem to recall you saying that you enjoy uh, Del Toro's movies. Have you had the chance to see scary stories to tell in the dark? If not, would you like to see it? Yeah, I almost went to see it, but I just didn't have time last week. Could you, I think it looks cool, and I like those stories growing up, so why not? Could you suggest some horror films that have to do with water? I'm thinking of going with Dagon and Leviathan for Halloween this year. Haven't seen these classic films, I'd had, I had to say. Um, is it Dead Water or Dark Water? The one that Severn put out is a really cool one involving water and Lovecraftian and stuff. I can't think. I think it's called Dark Water. That one's really cool, and it has some cool water imagery. I would recommend checking that one out for sure. Dagon's pretty cool, and Leviathan, uh, a lot of people like it, but I always thought the great cast was wasted. It's kind of like a lesser thing on a boat or a submarine. It's not bad. It's been a while since I've seen it. I'm trying to think of Endless Descent if you want to watch something completely stupid and ridiculous. Uh, water Horror, you know. I I definitely would go with Dark Water. You can't go wrong with that one. Great atmosphere. I really like it. And then we have some answers. Uh, I asked you guys last week uh, any indie actors and actresses that don't get enough recognition and indie indie directors that don't get enough recognition. So we have Mr. Tony of the Dead. Good guy. I'd say Jordan uh, Peeps or Feeps, is it? Or Pips. 
I'm not sure. That doesn't help them. Is the actress that needs more recognition and Henrik Kodo for indie filmmaking. Also Sean Wright for filmmaking. He wrote and directed Night of the X. Justin Burning, one of ones you're very familiar with, Ellie Church and Scott Shermer. Good people. Matt Brown, I feel Brian Pollan and Marcus Cook are extremely underrated directors. I will totally go down uh, totally go down on them. No, I will totally go down in agreeing with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. No, but Brian Pollan's Blood Pigs and Fetus are awesome. And uh, Marcus Cook always gets recognition for a special effects which are good but he directed a hundred tears and american guinea pig blood shock and rot and fell and he's a really capable director on a budget too so and he directed a short in the high eight um seg, uh, anthology so i mean yeah he's totally underrated as a director uh robert barry franco's jamie lynn bagley anna rizzo aaron r ryan sarah nicklin of course aaron ryan um elisa baldassari to name a few actresses mac brewer anything from a24 I know Mac's trolling because I know Mac. Fuck you, Mac. Okay. Brian K. Williams, Ellie Church, and Dustin Wade Mills. Good people. J.C. Wilde, Laurel Dean is a phenomenal Canadian director that deserves far, far more recognition. Justin Tooney, Jeremy Saunier, and Jim Mickle. A little bit bigger than indie, but I guess they qualify as indie, and they're both great. Uh, I always say your last name wrong, Sam. You'll have to connect, uh, correct me. Sam Vanessi, uh, Elise Winkler, and Jason Crow as actors, both great. And Joe Meredith for filmmaker. Joe makes some really cool shorts that I saw, and he does uh, some really gnarly cover art. So I hope he makes some more movies, and I hope he gets more recognition. Matt Brown, uh, Matt Brown commented underneath. Sam Vanessi is a good one too. Sam makes some movies. Chase Will, Kenzie Phillips for actress, cool. Know her, she's a good person. Rick Montgomery, or she's a good actress. I don't know her that well. I've worked with her. She's a good person, good actress, whatever. Uh, Rick Montgomery Jr. for actor and Dustin Wade Mills for filmmaker Patty Rhodes, Tristan Clay and Joe Meredith definitely uh, Lily Spencer, Sissy O'Hara and then Ronnie Jonah Sadie Tate, love Sadie Tate she's cool, I actually got to stay with Sadie and Brian, uh, Brian Papandrea when we made Gay for Prey uh, Jason Crow, give me some of that underrated Tate, another Tate supporter, Jason Miller Michael Willard, uh, sorry, Aaron R. Ryan, Dustin Mills, and Mary Lee Osborne, of course. Mary Lee Osborne, you deserve as much praise and recognition as anyone. I've enjoyed watching you grow as an actress. Glenn uh, Witherington, Marcus Cook, and Bob Glazer. Gotta love Bob Glazer. Seb Godin, Joe Meredith, and Dustin Mills for director, definitely. Allison Egan, you. Hmm, thanks, Allie. Never called you Allie before, never will call you Allie again. Uh, Michael Cook, uh, Venencio Natali. Robert Barry Francos, again, he says directors, Richard Marv Griffin, agreed. He's, he's a workhorse, too. Corey Walter, underrated actor, would be Brick Browski from Class of Nukem High 2 and Mass Mutilator. An underrated director would def have to be Robert Kurtzman. I wish he'd do more than Wishmaster. And then he says, I don't think he was that, you know, um, indie, so he kind of corrected himself. But, hey, you know, he did some other stuff. He did, what was that movie that I wanted to love, The Rage. Love Wishmaster, though. Bobby Jose, uh, Francois Yoko Payan. Um, Andre Iskanov uh, I hope he said his name right he did like um, what was those crazy movies Nails and Visions of Suffering and Philosophy of a Knife definitely Jimmy Screamer Claus no doubt Jimmy Screamer Claus his movies are really cool too uh, Where the Dead Go to Die and When Blackbirds Fly I believe Jim Van Beber wish Jim Van Beber would direct some more movies uh, John Gianna Caspero I always say his last name wrong but he is in the Necro uh, Maniac and Schizophrenic movies Ron Ankins Phil Stevens Phil Stevens good guy Brian 
Ryan Paulin, Vernon Chapman with PFFR, and definitely last but not least, Necrostorm Film Crew. Nick Mua. I really wish someone would shine a bigger light on Scott Shermer. His movies are beyond excellent. Praise uh, him with great praise. Would I be considered a huge soccer fan or suggest you, that you, Mr. Parker, should get more attention? Yes, you would. Also, too few peeps don't know the awesomeness that is Ellie Church. Ellie's awesome. Adam Weber, Nick Stahl is an actor that deserves much more credit, particularly for films like Sleepwalking and The Chameleon. Underrated filmmaker, Mickey Keening, another great update. Those are a little bit bigger uh, actor in, uh, than a lot of them on here, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. I've never seen those two, but Nick Stahl was good in everything I've seen him in. Uh, Viper Rose, 1978. I don't think Lloyd Kaufman gets nearly as much credit as he should, and I think he will be looked at as a genius long after he's gone. Two others to mention would be Fred Vogel and Greg Lamberson. They both have brought a lot to indie horror and also deserve credit for the contributions to the art. I would agree. Slime City, August Underground. Uh, and then somebody else, uh, Ilk Vomit, seconds Lloyd Kaufman, gives a thumbs up. Jason Willard, um, this is the Patreon message he sent me. Indie actress that any more recognition to me is Aaron Ryan. Aaron is golden. Everything she does and becomes the character she portrays. She can do any type of role, whether it be horror, comedy, drama. I truly believe she is bar none the best indie actress working today. I would love to see her on a Hollywood red carpet someday where she belongs. Indie director that needs more recognition is Dustin Mills, of course. He is so talented and does so much with so little, it's mind-blowing. I've been a fan of Dustin since about 2012 and maybe a I'm a little biased. To me, he's the indie Kevin Smith. He just needs the right person to see his films, and he'll take off. He's ama- He is amazingly talented. Pete uh, Gerard. Steve uh, Bailwitz, Wicks, and MC Noel for director. Abigail uh, Dagan. Or is it Dagon? Do you have to say your last name, Dagon? Spelled Dagon. Uh, Joe Meredith and his gorgeous wife, Sid Meredith. Uh, Anthony Padilla. Jamie Burnett. She's both actress and filmmaker. Awesome. And then we have some old answers for most transgressive and favorite SOV movies. Will England. This, this, he uh, made a mistake. He didn't really, he was corrected afterwards uh, for SOV movies. Most fucked up or transgressive is Voyage to Gaithis, Inland Empire. They're not really, you know, SOV, but favorites are Blood Cult, Wood Chipper Massacre, and Midnight Skater. Harry Collins 3. Good guy. Soul of the, Soul of a Demon, Lost, Vegas Bloodbath, Satan's Place, and Gore Horror. John Sims, Gore Horror, Venus Flytrap, Sledgehammer, Burning Moon. Tony Mazzello for Transgressive, I say Twisted Issues or Horror Girl. So I guess we got our questions out of the way. I'm going to give you an answers. I'm going to give you guys the question of the week, which is worst movie made by your favorite director and your favorite movie made by your most hated director. Both of them. So favorite movie by most hated director and worst movie made by favorite director. I'm just really curious what we'll see. But I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, this is going to be a quickie. We got Vice Squad by Shout Factory. That's right, Gary Sherman. I had the DVD this, never opened it. I bought the Blu-ray. I've been hearing good things about it for a long time. I just really need to watch this. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, Wings Hauser being a crazy person. It should be enjoyable. Then we have Dr. Heppel, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. I've actually seen this before, believe it or not. This is Oliver Reed, uh, comedy, Dr. Jekyll kind of thing. This is a really weird, goofy, silly movie, you know, with like the sex changes and everything like that. I like it. It's spoofy. It's weird. Super happy to see it on Blu-ray. Hell, it never even had a DVD. And the VHS is probably rare as hell. So, yeah. Love it. Love Oliver Reed. So, yeah. And then we got a box set here from, this is an import. This is a Pedro Almodovar box set. And uh, I'm not familiar with his movies as I should be, but it's got Dark Habits. What Have I Done to Deserve This? Law of Desire. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Kiki, or yeah, 
uh, Kiki. Yeah, I think it is. The Flower of My Secret. Um, yeah, this is a bunch of movies on here. I really want to check out uh, Dark Habits. I wanted to check this guy out because I had seen uh, Bad Education or part of it years back, years. And I heard the, uh, was it Cat Allinger and Sam Deacon talking about this on Daughters of Darkness, some of his movies, which unfortunately aren't in this box set. But uh, he sounded like a really cool director. So yeah, I, I wanted to pick this up. There is one, I think, in France, but it doesn't contain English subtitles. It has like 18 of his movies in HD. But yeah, um, this is a nice start for me. So cool. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. <laughs>